Today we are beginning a new series looking at the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. One of my favorite books of the Bible. And there's so much that we can learn from the life of Jonah. If you brought your Bible this morning, why don't you open there already? Open to the book of Jonah. That way we don't have to take a long time. We don't have, uh, it's, it's a big chapter. We're going to work one chapter at a week. So the next four weeks is going to be found in the book of Jonah. And here's what I want to encourage you to do is take time to read over each chapter before we study it when you get here during the service. Um, always making sure to understand the passage. And seeing what God has to share with you. Now I want to be very clear as we move into the book of Jonah. That I believe this passage is 100% within the perspective that this really happened. Right? This is not some fable that's being told as just to teach a lesson in the Bible. But the story of Jonah is a story that actually truly happened. There was a man by the name of Jonah. This man was swallowed by a great fish. He was not digested. We'll get there in a little while. But I, I think it's important because not only because that's a traditional view of the book of Jonah. But also I believe that scripture itself points us to that the book of Jonah, the life of Jonah, and the person of Jonah actually happened. Matthew 12. This is the first week that I am using the clicker again. So you're going to have to forgive me if I totally forget. And Heidi, you're going to have to help me if I totally forget here, if you don't mind. The book of Matthew chapter 12 verse 41. This is Jesus. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And look at this. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Well, well, if, if the story of Jonah wasn't real, no, no, it was real because these men repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, I truly believe that to dismiss the story of Jonah because of the magnitude of the miracle is to dismiss the power of God. To dismiss the story of Jonah because of the magnitude of the miracle is to dismiss the power of God. To say something is too great for God, that's something that... Maybe we don't always hear, but maybe sometimes we believe. To say something is too great for God is something that completely goes against the teaching of Scripture. If the argument is that Jonah, well, a fish can't really swallow and not digest a person. That just doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. Well, then we have to answer with all things are possible with God. Can a virgin become pregnant? Well, scientifically, no, but all things are possible with, with God. Can, can putting mud over someone's eyes make a blind man see? Well, scientifically, no, but all things are possible with God. Jesus says in Matthew 19.26, But Jesus looked at them and said, With this, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now, we always look at verses, or we should always look at verses within the context of the passage, but, but here, but we're not going to move into Matthew 19 today. I want you to look at that last thing. But with God, all things are possible. All things. Not one thing, not a specific thing, not a certain thing, not a group of things, but all things are possible with God. And so, as we read the story of Jonah today, I'm reading it as that with God... All things are possible. So why is there any hesitation to not believe that the story of Jonah is a true story that actually happened to a man named by the book of to a man by the name of Jonah? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we ask today that you would provide clarity to us, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, that you would ultimately be glorified in everything that's said and done. Lord, help us to learn from the life of Jonah. Realizing that just as Jonah, we are imperfect people serving a perfect God. And Lord, we pray today that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 
A couple of things about Jonah before we get into the book. Some of the history things, so to speak. Um, Jonah is the son of a Mittai. Jonah is, was from Gath Hefer, which is located in Galilee, and he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. Okay, and that would have taken place approximately between the time of 793 BC to 753 BC. He traveled to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Jonah did not like the Assyrians. And we'll get into that farther along as we continue to study the passages. There were multiple Assyrian uh, natural disasters that happened to the Assyrians during this time. Maybe God was trying to get their attention. The Assyrian famines of 1765 and 759 BC. There was also the total eclipse of 763 BC. There's a lot going on in the world at this time, especially within the nation of Assyria. There's a lot of evil that is abounding. The authorship of the book of Jonah is debated. Uh, the traditional view is that Jonah is the one that wrote the book of Jonah, but we, we aren't 100% sure. Um, he writes and uses third person multiple times. It doesn't mean that he isn't the one that wrote it. Moses also spoke in third person um, sometimes. And so when you read the book of Jonah, uh, I... I think that most likely Jonah is the one that wrote the book, but there can be an argument made that we just aren't sure who wrote the book of Jonah. So with that information, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish was the farthest that somebody could ever travel from where Jonah was at that specific place. And we'll get to that in a minute. But if you look back at verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That phrase, the word of the Lord, is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, communicating how God is speaking to someone. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Lord spoke to Jonah, and his message was this. Go to Nineveh. Go to the people that you hate, that you don't like. And I don't think hate is understating the way that Jonah felt about the Assyrians, about the Ninevites. Go there, because there's a great evil that has come before me. And Jonah's response is to deliberately disobey and go to Tarshish. Joppa is where Jonah got on the boat. And you can see here a little bit of an explanation, a little bit of a, of a map that explains how far from one place to the other. Look where Nineveh was, 550 miles, no water that has to be crossed. But see, Jonah wasn't ready to go to Nineveh. He had other plans. He decided to get on a boat and go to a place by the name of Tarshish. It would be similar in, in distance. It's actually about going from Mount Vernon Christian Church to the Los Angeles International Airport. Just, just to hop in the car and go. Because if he had to hop on a boat and go in the water, it would be similar to God telling you to do something and to go somewhere you hop in your car and you drive to Philadelphia International Airport and you run up to one of the desks and you look at the person and you say, where, where, is, where is the farthest place I can go from right here? 
Where's the farthest place that I can get to from right here? And actually, from Philadelphia International Airport, the longest one-way flight, I looked this up just for you, is Qatar. Qatar, a 12-hour flight. Your response to them immediately, I'll take it. I don't care how bumpy it is. I don't care what's going on. I just want to get away from here. I want to get away from what God's calling me to, God's telling me to do. Charles Spurgeon, in talking about Jonah making a decision to go to Tarshish, he preached the following. He said, Jonah felt it come upon him all of a sudden not to go to Nineveh, but to Tarshish. Tarshish. Tarshish was constantly whispered in his ear till he had Tarshish on the brain and go he must. Now I'm glad he didn't put Tarshish in there more times because it's a little hard to say as you say it over and over and over again. And as you're driving home today, see how many of you can say Tarshish in a row without getting your tongue tied. But this is what happened. God told Jonah to go somewhere and Jonah entertained the idea of not listening to God and followed through with trying his best to run away. See, Jonah had no interest at all in traveling to Nineveh. He had no interest at all, as we're going to look later on in, in the book of Jonah. We're not going to get to that today. But he had no interest at all in seeing the Assyrians or the Ninevites shown any mercy or grace. He hated them. He despised them. So he entertains the idea of disobeying God. And then follows through. Emphasizing Jonah's terrible decision, the author mentions two times in verse 3, that Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of God. Think about that with me for a moment. Fleeing from the presence of God. It's an interesting one because Jonah didn't only want to run from God, but he tried to go somewhere on earth where God would not be able to reach him or speak to him or call him to what he had been called. For some reason, Jonah got something in his mind that, man, if I start going to Tarshish, maybe, maybe God's calling on my life won't be the same anymore. <laughs> maybe it'll just go away. Maybe God won't be able to see me as I'm down in the bottom of the ship. But Jonah had to have known better. It's pointless to try and hide from God. It reminds me of Adam and Eve, beginning of Genesis, trying to hide from God himself. It doesn't work. God knows all. He sees all. Jeremiah 23, 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord? See, while Jonah ran away from the presence of God, he did the exact opposite of what believers are supposed to do. We are to run towards God, towards the presence of God. You can look verse after verse in the Psalms or, or, or other books of the Bible and, and see the references to the presence of God and how amazing his presence truly is. Psalm 1611, and we're not going to get into a whole bunch today, but you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And I'll tell you this, God was present with Jonah in the boat on his way to Tarshish. And God would have also been present with Jonah had he obeyed and went straight to Nineveh because our God is everywhere. See, when people try and run away from God, physically, they're also running away from him spiritually. For you can't deny what God is calling you to do and believe that you're still walking in step with him. Because you're disobeying what he has for you. We're to seek God, his presence, and run towards him. 
However, we're told again and again in Scripture the importance of walking with the Lord. Look at Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The righteous man runs towards the presence of the Lord, not away from the presence of the Lord. And here this prophet of God decides, you know what? God, you're calling me to that, but that, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. I hate those people. Do you know what they do? You must not. You must not know the way that they actually act, the way that they actually speak, or what they actually think, or what they do to others. You must not know the way that they've treated me before. So I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. So Jonah hops on a boat, and he begins his trek to Tarshish. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. We don't know how far Jonah had went on in his trip. We don't know how far the boat sailed, how close to Los Angeles International Airport they actually were. But they'd been traveling. And all of a sudden, this storm came out of nowhere. It was a storm that threatened the integrity of the ship itself. As a ship began to threaten to break apart, we, we actually, we got a glimpse of the magnitude of the storm because the sailors themselves were afraid. Now, if you're flying in an airplane, there's a little bit of some bumps. Do you get worried? Some of you probably do. But many people, you just sit there, a little bit of bumps. When you hear that one, ding! How many, everybody's flown an airplane before, right? Or most of you have. I grew up flying a lot in airplanes, right? And when you fly commercial, they have different dings, and the different dings mean different things. <laughs> when you hear ding, 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 that means be ready. Not really. It's actually about two dings, and the flight attendants will sit down, and they will buckle in. And when you see the flight attendants, or the stewardesses, or the stewards sit down and buckle themselves in, you better be buckled yourself, because you are about to be into some turbulence, because those people are almost like magicians in how they can balance going up and down the plane. But when you can see fear in their eyes, it's different to you, isn't it? The sailors themselves were afraid here. Because this storm was different. This is a storm of supernatural proportions. Because God himself had brought it at that moment for a specific purpose. They were afraid. They cried out to their gods. They threw cargo out of the ship to try and lighten the ship. The ship would handle the storm better. These were men that knew how to handle storms. They knew a little wind and a little rain. They could do that. But this, this storm was different. And, and it wasn't settling down. And they didn't know what to do. And they realized that they were literally hanging on for dear life. Where was Jonah? Jonah's in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Reminds me a little bit of, of when the disciples were freaking out and Jesus was sleeping. For Jesus was at complete peace in his heart. I don't believe Jonah was at peace in his heart here. I just wonder if he really cared. 
We're given no indication that Jonah was scared whatsoever. But he wakes up and now has to do something different. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Look back with me at, at verses 8 and 9. They, they question Jonah. They realize, okay, you're the reason. You're the reason this is happening to me. <laughs> you're the reason I'm in this boat. Sometimes you're in a boat in life. Things get a little rocky and it's not your fault. Jonah was the reason for the storm. And they say, what, what in the world? <laughs> How are you someone that's so important? What do you do? Where are you from? And he says this to them. This is his answer. This is very interesting. It's, it's actually ironic. Verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Jonah's trying to flee from the one who made the sea in the sea. Think about that with me for a moment. Jonah's trying to run away from the one who created the sea in the sea. Now Jonah had to have known that he couldn't really run away from God. Maybe he realized he could never run away from the presence of God, but, but he was trying to run away from the calling that God had in his life. And I, I think when we get to chapter 4, we'll actually talk about uh, why Jonah is really doing this. And I think that's very important. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But it speaks to how much anger existed in the heart of Jonah toward the Ninevites. Causing him to try and run away from God. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, of Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What we see is that conditions continue to deteriorate on board of the ship, and these sailors realize they have to do something with Jonah. So what do you do? What do you do with, with, with this guy that you know he's the problem? Well, Jonah says to them, throw me overboard. Just, just throw me overboard. Now, do you think Jonah's telling him to do that because Jonah's just such a good guy? Maybe this is another example of Jonah trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. Throw me in the water. You guys will be fine. I'll drown. It's a win-win. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I can't stand those people. Throw me overboard. You'll be fine. God has, there's nothing with, there's nothing between, this is not because of you today. 
It's impossible to know if that's really why Jonah wanted to be thrown in the water. Maybe he actually wanted to be thrown in the water because he thought, well, God's just going to take me where he wants me. But we're given no indication of immediate repentance. Jonah, we're not told of him falling on his knees on the ship and saying, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Let's move forward together. He had the opportunity to repent before God, but instead he chose to be thrown overboard. But the sailors, they wanted no part of throwing Jonah overboard. Maybe they were concerned that there would actually be consequences that would come to them if they took the life of this man that God was trying to get the attention of. So they rode harder and harder to get towards land. But eventually they had no choice. They had to throw him overboard. The storm grew and grew. And we're given a very interesting contrast here between followers of God and those who did not follow God up until this moment. Look at Jonah. We're given no indication, even after seeing this storm, in chapter 1, of any serious repentance in his heart. But these sailors, these people who, who didn't know God, they just witnessed the power of Almighty God himself. Reminds me of the verse, who is, who is he that even the winds and the seas obey him? Think about that. The power of God. You throw Jonah overboard and everything settles. I've often wondered how quickly storms dissipated in those situations. Was it that they're standing there and all of a sudden the clouds change? Was it over the period of a short amount of time? But no matter what it was, it was enough for these sailors to realize, to realize that this wasn't a normal storm. And throwing Jonah overboard made a big change. There was someone who was trying to get his attention. And there are times in life, I think, where we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. Where God tells us to do something, and we decide not to. Maybe God didn't tell you to go to Tarshish. Maybe God didn't call you to the mission field, and you're running in the opposite direction. Maybe it's witnessing to a coworker. Maybe it's discipling someone that you know. Maybe it's reaching out to, to this person or to that person. And choose to do the other thing. But the, the amazing thing as we look at this story is that even though Jonah decided to deliberately obey God, God used Jonah's disobedience to bring more people towards him. Think about that with me for a moment. See, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly, and I hope you believe this too, <laughs> that God knew what decisions Jonah was going to make. Jonah had the ability to make those choices, but God knew. God knew that he was going to go to the sea and, and the whole thing of him being swallowed by a great fish is much more than him just being swallowed by a fish. Is it actually brought a message to the Assyrians who worshipped a fish god by the name of Dagon? And we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But even in disobedience, God's plan still comes to fruition. He can still work things to be according to his purpose. Jonah was completely wrong in what he was doing. Yet God brought some to himself, even though Jonah disobeyed. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days 
and three nights. One of my favorite commentators, William, William MacDonald, he says, uh, in regards to this verse, and, and we'll talk more about this coming up, but the miracle was not that the fish could swallow a man, but it's that he was never digested. I think oftentimes people think, well, how, how in the world are you going to get a fish big enough to swallow a person whole? And for him to be in there three days and three nights, well, we'll get to that. Next week we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2, but before we close in prayer today, um, I want to reflect on just a couple of things from, from Jonah chapter 1. We've stepped into a new year. It's 2021. Sarah told me that if you say 2021, you could, it, it almost sounds like 2020, W-O-N, 2021. Got it? You following? Some of you will get it in the car when you actually are on your way home, but 2021, right? We're in 2021 now. It's a brand new year. We're in 2021. I love new beginnings. I, I do, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for that. New minutes, new hours, new days, new months, new years. Not because this has to be any different than the next, but because God gives us the opportunity to make this better than the next. You have the chance, stepping into 2021, to make this year about your faithfulness to God, about your desire to seek Him, and to grow and to get to know Him more. But I think what we have to do, and, and this is why I'm so thankful for New Beginnings, is that it reminds us to reevaluate our lives and to reevaluate our priorities. What comes first? What comes second? What comes third? What's most important? Where is there no wiggle room? Where is there wiggle room? What, you know, maybe you're a, a diehard Eagles fan and you're planning to watch the game tonight hoping they lose, right? Is there anybody else with me on that one? Right? Draft pick. You have to hope for a draft pick. And you've been committing a lot of time to watching the Eagles this year, and if that is, you're probably not a very happy person. And you say, next year, I'm not going to spend as much time doing that. I'm going to invest more time in this, right? It's New Year's give us new opportunities to reflect on decisions that we have to make. Gives us new opportunities to reflect on our own spiritual life. So my question to you today is, are you following where God's leading you this year? Were you following God where he was leading you last year? And if you're not, it's never too late to get off the ship to Tarshish and to turn around. To follow what God has for you. And the second thing is this, and this is what I see throughout the whole story of Jonah. Is that I, I truly believe that in each of our lives there's a little bit of Jonah in us. Doesn't mean you're someone that hates other people. Or that you have no mercy or no grace that you're going to show anyone else. But there are times in life where God very clearly, very clearly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, lays something on your heart. And you know it. And today, all of us who are believers, you know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And there are times when the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart. And we choose not to follow it. May this be the year. May 2021 be the year when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. No matter how hard it might be. No matter how inconvenient it might be. No matter how uncomfortable it might make you. No matter how much it might make you swallow your pride. May we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jonah had to do in going to Nineveh. He had to swallow his pride and bring a message of grace and hope to the people he hated. What's this year going to look like for you? I'll tell you what. 
God's just as good and just as faithful as he was in 2020. And just as God was good and faithful in 2020, I am excited for 2021 and how we're going to witness his goodness and faithfulness. Because I believe it's demonstrated to us every single day. Even in the story of Jonah. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love for us. We thank you, God, as, as we think about this past year, we reflect on the year 2020. Lord, it was, a, it was a difficult year. It was a different year. Yet, God, you are always the one who is victorious. <laughs> no set of difficult circumstances No problems that arise in culture are greater than you. And so, Lord, even though we have that joke, or we hear of people talking about the year 2020, Lord, we continue to look forward, realizing that there is one who is victorious, there is one who wins, and it is you alone. Lord, today we humbly surrender to you. Lord, we want to follow where you have for us to go. We want to do what you have for us to do. That you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.